Welcome to the Passion and Purpose Podcast. I'm Louis Giglio. I'm so glad that you're joining us today. I hope you're enjoying the podcast in general. You are going to love this episode today because I am welcoming to the Passion and Purpose Podcast the one and only Shelly Giglio. If there is anyone that people have been saying to me, please have this person on in season one. It has been Shelly, the request. I'm not kidding. Everybody I talk to is like, I hope you're having Shelly on. And of course, we're having Shelly on. She is amazing in every way. You're going to hear a lot more about the backdrop of her life today, but she's an incredible leader in business. She leads Six Steps Records on our team, also pioneered The Grove, which is touching the lives of women through our house, Passion City Church, and impacting women all around the world. She's just incredible in every way. I'm so glad that you're getting to hear some of her wisdom and a little bit of her humor today as she joins me on the Passion and Purpose podcast. Please welcome Shelly Giglio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Passion and Purpose podcast. And my guest today needs no introduction, but I'm going to give her one anyway, because oh, thank you. I can. It is uh, none other than Shelly Giglio. A lot of people in the old days would say, oh, are you Louie's wife? And now they're like, oh, you're Shelly's husband. Right. So the That's tables definitely so much. have turned right. and people have discovered that you are pure gold. Thank you. And I don't kind. know how long this podcast is going to go, but not long enough for me to give a short recap of all the things that you've done in life and Please why you're don't. amazing. But um, Shelly is a businesswoman. She's a spiritual leader. She is a phenomenal friend and maybe the wisest person I know. Mm -hmm. And I know it's true, and you'll downplay this because that's one of the things you love to do. But people who are on this first season of the Passion and Purpose podcast are like, oh, I'm so excited about that podcast. Oh, I'm so excited about that one. And then they're going to be like, are you kidding me? Shelly Giglio is on the podcast. I am downloading that one. I've seen the list and it's fairly impressive. And I will not be surprised if this is the most listened to podcast of all because people want to hear what you have to say. And so thank you, A, for being on the podcast. Welcome to the Passion and Purpose podcast. There wouldn't be one if it wasn't for you. So thank you (laughs) because none of this would be going on if it wasn't for Shelly Giglia. We've been married for 34 years. Almost 35. And, uh, turning the page onto 35 very soon now, probably after this podcast airs. So we've been together a long time. We've been together more of our lives than we've been apart, which is kind of crazy. And people say we're starting to look alike, which I'm like, I'll take that. I'll take that. Um, Anyway. Give me those piercing blue eyes anytime. I want to go back to the beginning. Uh, not the beginning, 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 because we've had a lot of new beginnings, but I want to go back to a period of time around 2000 when we had hosted this gathering called One Day 2000 Memphis, Tennessee. It was one of the biggest, craziest steps of faith that we'd ever taken together. For sure. And coming out of that, we really felt like it was time for us to pull some of our artist friends together into a collective called Six Steps Records. So we started almost from scratch a record label, yeah. which was a great idea. We wanted to serve our friends. These artists were really felt like part of our family, a lot of them. And we wanted to preserve our movement. And we felt like to do both of those things, that having a label that 
we actually were all a part of together was going to be key. But the problem with that was I come up with the ideas, but I'm not really good at running things. You're really <laughs> so good at ideas, though. All of a sudden, excellent idea. There's maker. a conversation that goes down, and you're like, I don't know if I want to run a record label. I don't know anything about running a record label. And we had made albums before. We were already on the music track for a decade or so before that. But you started out with Six Steps Records and, I mean, come on, um, Grammys, many Dove Awards, mm-hmm. Billboard Music Awards, gold albums, platinum albums, um, huge success, number one singles. And um, yet here you are all these years later, 20-something years later, and you just show up every day. And you show up the same today as you did 20 years ago. And that's remarkable because, A, nobody does anything for 20 years anymore. And, B, how do you show up every single day, like today, once again, to say, I want to steward what God has put in our hands well? Well, that's kind of a loaded question. Um, I don't really know exactly how I do it. I know why I do it. Um, I do feel probably what a lot of people feel in that I have been very blessed to be a part of a lot of God's movement on earth. I've seen and experienced and heard and been at places that I don't deserve to be. I didn't earn it. I didn't make a way for myself to be in those spots. But God, through His destination on my life, said, I'm going to allow you to stand there. And it's it's honestly the privileges never lost on me. I never look in the moment and think, I deserve this or I've earned this. I always look at the moment and think, I don't deserve it or I haven't earned it. And yet, by grace, I get to be here in this moment. So that's probably the why is, is that I honestly believe that as much as I've experienced of God, that there's so much more. And as much as I've already seen him do, which has been a phenomenal thing. I mean, when we stop and we're not big people to stop and look back and appreciate sometimes all that's behind us. But when we do, we realize, wow, we have been a part of a lot of beautiful and amazing things of God on earth. But I believe just as much as those are amazing that what he has for me today, for tomorrow, for next year is going to be equally amazing. And I don't want to be resting on my laurels when he says, hey, guess what? I have a moment for you to be in. I have a place that you don't deserve or haven't earned, but I'm going to place you. But you're so happy with what I did before that you're going to miss what I'm doing now. And I'm like, no way. (laughs) I am grateful for what you've done before, but I am committed to not missing right now. And If that means that I need to get up and show up to be present for those moments, then here I am. And I think people who know that they didn't earn them to start with are quick to put themselves in a place that they might get to be at them again. Again, I don't know if I will, but what if I could? I know when we started this journey, we weren't really thinking about anything in the category of what you would call success in the music industry. We were thinking about... I didn't really about, even know what that was, we were, honestly. We were really thinking about stewarding songs yeah. for the church. Yes. And we 
saw our friends writing songs that were anointed and powerful, and we were we were, were like, we want to be a part of that. We want to be a part of that song, that anointing, that expression being served as well as it can. So we really felt like we were serving people, but we were carrying songs. And talk about the difference between you know, being an artist and an industry and the power of a song and what God can do through a song. Yeah, I I love artists and it's probably been the greatest gift to my life and probably some of the hardest things of my life. Um, artists, as you know, being one, um, are complicated people. They're 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 layered people. They are what you see is what you get until you get beneath that, and then there's a whole <laughs> lot more. And um, that's been sort of a calling on my life is to walk beside very gifted. all the people who are married to, work with, uh, <laughs> on the road with artists. Just gave a big hearty. Amen. I'm they not going to say who's engineering this podcast right now, but I got a big grin from uh, uh, behind the control desk in there. Yeah, they're special people. People understand. Yeah, they're, they're special. special people. That's a great way of saying I it. I think it is. I really believe they're special. I also believe that it's it's a complicated thing, and it's complicated in their own minds and hearts, and it's complicated as they deal with others. And I've always thought if I have the privilege of standing in that moment with them to help translate some of what they carry to people who don't quite understand what a privilege that is. And so I've found myself just by the nature of being available, I think, in some of those places throughout life. But what I've learned about God is that God operates out of promise. And when He says He's going to do something, He's going to do something. And long, long ago, before any artists were attached to the idea of worship being in the church, directly said to God. So there was a moment in time where all the worship songs were written about God. God is good. God is great. And then there was a shift where worship started happening to God. God, you are great. You are beautiful and amazing, and I choose to worship you. And we were kind of standing at that crossroads in time where God was taking what was considered hymns or worship in the church in some form from things that we say to each other about how good God is to things that we begin to be able to say to God in true worship, to just say, I bow before you because look how magnificent you truly are. And I believed in that moment that God was saying, I'm going to reconcile the concept of who I am with my people to the degree that when they see me and when they understand who I really am, they can't help but say directly to me, you are the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And I'm not going to cry, but that was a really profound moment of shift in the church. And as we stood in those moments, we realized that the songs that we were crafting and creating, the ways that we were able to direct people to God directly and not through each other was going to be a powerful force. And so, yeah, that stewardship is priceless. Can't believe that we get to hold songs that are worship to God in a way that He would be honored, not just by our singing and confessing them, but then by offering them as confessions for other people all over the world. And who would have dreamed that? I I literally, if I could have thought it up, I couldn't have thought it up. So only God could have done what He's done, for sure. 
I have a question, um, and so I'm going to put the question out, but then I'm going to come back and comment on something. But I, I had nine questions as you were giving that answer. Um, so great. Um, so what would you say to an emerging artist in this space um, based on 20-plus years of, of living in the space? That's the question. But before that, so what Shelley's saying, I think, is that in the climate of church music, there was a big turn. And you yeah. and I really actually were around for that. We weren't around for the Jesus movement yeah, no. in the 60s. Listen, where I'm not that old. A lot of this did begin. Um, I was, <laughs> I was actually in 60s. alive in, sure. in that uh, period of time, but didn't know fully what was happening, but got the ripple effects of it eventually in Atlanta in the early 70s. So one of the things we have seen up close is the challenge and, and kind of in some way lived in it on some level, the challenge of being an artist and yet being an artist that's all about Jesus. So you're on the stage, your face is on on the thing, your name is everywhere, you are in some ways a celebrity. Uh, people want your attention, they want your endorsement, they want your signature, they want a photograph. Mm-hmm. And yet at the same time, all of it really is about shining a light on someone bigger. So Talk about the challenge of being, we say, a Christian artist, and I think both of us probably don't really love that term, being an artist who wants their art to reflect the beauty and the glory of God. What are some of the challenges in that? And as these new artists are coming on the scene, and you and I are are getting older, and every now and then we'll kind of look up and see what's going on in Christian music and be like, we don't know these people. Um, but there's some amazing young, talented people coming up through the ranks. What is your like core message to them? What do they need to know to navigate this journey well? Yeah, I mean, I think there's several things that I could speak about um, related to that. I feel like one of the most important things is just, and we talk about this a lot in Passion World, is just who is the glory for? And if you'll honestly ask yourself, why am I doing this? Why did I write this song? What do I get out of touring and who is it for? And you can honestly evaluate the answer, not, of course, it's for God. You know, I think all of us are quick as believers to say, this is all for God. But when we boil our life down to why we do what we do, what's really truly underneath that? And I think if you feel like glory is at stake and glory is to be earned for somebody in the equation, so the lights are going to then travel to who? If it's you or if it's God. And I always say that there's a way to be fully present on stage without the stage being fully about you. And man, if you are a person who's who's trusting and following God to the stage, which Let's admit, it's a very special calling that few can survive. Very few people can get that kind of acclaim and still make it about someone other than themselves. But if you can make it there and then say, I realize the whole time the light is on me, that the light is truly shining through me to somebody other than me, then you've been able to survive and and maybe even thrive in the environment that you were called to. And it's a challenge in... I would also say the people around you are really, really important in that process. Because if you have people who are then getting their acclaim from your acclaim, and they become on your payroll based on how successful you are, 
then it also becomes very distracting for those who are surrounding you to stay true to what their calling is and to make it about somebody other than themselves as well. So so why? Why are you doing what you're doing? What's the real reason underneath all the facades that we can layer up that people can see? Why? And then actually who's around me to keep me accountable to that why? Yeah, maybe that's the most important thing because I feel like my experience has been almost everyone I know and myself, everyone starts out with a good motive. Yeah, I hope Everybody we do. Everybody starts out saying, I just love God and I have a guitar or I love yeah. God and I have my Bible or I love God and I can play the piano or I can sing. And I don't know if anybody's ever going to hear me, but I'm just in the closet over here, lost in wonder. And then five years later, they're winning some award or gaining success. And that's where the journey gets hard, I think, for all of us. Yeah. And we just saw a pre-cut of this movie that's coming out that is a snapshot of Christian music from the Jesus movement to present. And everybody in it talked about their struggle of being a human being yeah. in the process of people looking at them and going, oh, you're some kind of special person because you can write a song like that. But everyone in that movie from day one to right now is a human being struggling with the same temptations, the right. same hardship, um, up against the same battles as anybody else on planet Earth. So how do you go on that stage and be true when we know that nobody on that stage is really perfect? Well, there is no perfect people. And so whoever's leading you in worship isn't perfect. And I think repeating that to ourselves is important. So because someone is three feet up on a platform so that you can see them better does not perfect them. It actually is one of the most humbling places you can be. Yeah. And when people shine light on you, if you're not careful, it will actually blind you. And you will begin to think that the light is on you when it's really what it's doing is um, disabling you from seeing truly what you're supposed to be about in that moment. And so it's important that I think the people who are leading the people of God, you would be one of them, would be more um, apt to be interested in being with God than in telling the people of God how to be with God. <laughs> Right? So same with worship leaders. Wouldn't it be beautiful if the people who were leading us in worship were more apt and more drawn to being with God in telling God some of their worship and how beautiful and awesome He is than they were about telling all of us how beautiful and awesome He is? Then I think in pureness of heart, we can stand on stages and in front of people and say, listen, I'm trying to tell you about the greatest treasure in my life, and I mean it. <laughs> and when we do, people can see that it's not really truly about us at all. I think one of the reasons, babe, that your words carry so much weight is because up to now, you haven't been the person on the stage. You haven't sought the spotlight. You haven't sought to be on stage. You've been this steady force that just shows up as consistent, um, serves, but mm -hmm. also brings so much wisdom, so much vision, so much uh, creativity into the process. And um, then whatever, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, we make a left turn and plant Passion City Church. And I think Ooh. you were on record at that point as saying, I will never be a pastor's wife. 
But here we are sitting on this podcast, the Passion and Purpose podcast today, and you are a pastor's wife and maybe don't have the title, official title pastor of Passion City Church, but we're in this together. So you're a leader, you pastor people, and you're the wife of a pastor of a church. So what changed from a pastor's wife to where we are right now? And to now. every other pastor's wife, God bless you also. It's a very um, unique and uh, special gifting to, <laughs> <laughs> to be able to stand beside um, this calling. And, you know, for me, it, it took me uh, figuring out that the calling wasn't just yours. And then we've told our story before, but that was quite a process for me because I think you felt called uh, to be a part of planting a church long before I did. And you also felt con- consumed with the idea that the obedience was that you needed to obey. And I was dragging my feet because, uh, well, a lot of becauses, but one of them I think was because I've, I've grown up in church. I've been around church my whole life. I've seen uh, the pitfalls of church and church people. And um, some of you people are awesome, just to be reminded, and some of you people are kind of challenging, as on the other hand. <laughs> and I've I've experienced all you of You heard that. it right here on the Passion and Purpose podcast. With a smile. Um, I just feel like it's—I wasn't that interested in being a part of that particular segment. I didn't love Jesus less. I did not want to be obedient. I just couldn't imagine— myself in the middle of that kind of politicking and uh, people feeling like they had the right to be in control of everything, people always telling you what you should have done and done better. And I just was like, I don't I don't think I'm going to do that well. And so I was resistant. And I think what I came to realize in time, and there are certainly places you can listen to this whole story— was that the calling wasn't just on your life, but the calling was also on my life. And the anointing for the calling wasn't just on your life, but it was Mm -hmm. also on my life. And I had to wrestle with God until I could hear that. And I knew if He would say it to me that I would obey Him because I had a long history of obedience. I don't want to get to heaven and hear you almost made it well done-ish. I really don't want to hear that. And so I I have in my heart that I want to be obedient all the way to the end, but I was just struggling with this step of obedience. And I knew if God would just say it to me, I really want you, Shelly, to be a part of this calling in this way. And if He would make that so clear to me that I would step over the line. And obviously for us, that happened in a moment where we were in a conference and someone was preaching He got to the end of his message. He said to pastor's wives, interestingly enough, who— Well, he he said, I don't know why I'm doing this. I hadn't planned on doing this. He really hadn't addressed pastor's wives in any of his talk. I want to offer a response for pastor's wives. And he just said, if you're a pastor's wife, please step forward, and I'd love to pray for you. And before I could tell my legs, don't move, (laughs) I was stepping up, and I was letting him pray over me as a person who was stepping across the line in obedience. And man, it was a powerful moment that neither of us will forget. Uh, we wept for a while and and really thanked God that He could be that clear so that we would know. And I have to be honest and say there are days now that I have to hang on to that moment because 
honestly, I could probably quit every day over something. There's either some offense by someone or some difficulty or some challenge that I'm like, I'm tired. I'm not up for this. I'm not ready for this job. And so it would be easy for me to say, hey, like you said earlier, look at the things in my past. Haven't they been awesome? Let's just ride it out. And yet, I don't want to ride it out. I want to get to heaven, and I want to see Jesus' face, and I want Him to look right at me and say, you did it. Way to go. Um, So that includes today. It was a really powerful moment for us. I had done my best to persuade you that we needed to plant the church now. Mm-hmm. And uh, we left church one day and the church we were a, a part of, and I knew leaving that day to we've got to decide now this time. <laughs> and we went for a walk that day oh, that after church. And I said, I think it's now. And you were like, nope, it's not now. And so I went into my uh, song and dance and all my powers of persuasion to try to help you see that it was now and then you made it very clear that it's not now. (laughs) And so I knew, okay, this uh, conversation is coming to a close and you were walking this lap and I was running a a bit ahead of you and then stopping and talking and running a little bit. And I remember running off and just saying, I think the best advice any of us can hear in, in life period is when when you say to God or God says to you, and I remember saying to God that day, I said, I really feel like you're saying plan a church, but Shelly is not feeling that, and we're a team, and I trust her judgment, and so I'm not going to bring it up again. Mm-hmm. And I just ran on, and I said, next lap, we're not picking this conversation back up, and I committed that moment I'm not going to bring this up again. God, if you want this to happen, you have to be the one who makes it happen. And it was a couple of months or at least several weeks, maybe a month or so before we were in that moment. And it just really blew both of us away. I remember we were in an event with thousands of people, maybe tens of thousands of people and sitting on the front row, no less. So you didn't have to go too far. No, I um, didn't. Thank goodness. But I remember when we got up to the the lounge where some of the program people were afterwards, and we just went back in a corner and we just sat there. I want to say we sat there for 20 minutes without even saying a word. It was just... Yeah. Can you believe that just happened? Yeah. And he, this guy says, I want to pray these things over you pastor's wives. And he just started naming all the things that we had struggled with mm-hmm. as hurdles that we would have to overcome to do this. And it was like, he was picking them off. And we were just like, this is so crazy. It's so God. And I really hope that's the case for you. You know, this is a passion and purpose podcast, meaning you could be listening today and going, I don't relate to any of what it means to be a pastor of a local church, but you're, you're in some zone. And every one of us in those zones gets up against places where we want to throw in the towel. Yeah. And it's the calling. It's that sense of God putting you in that place and you knowing, I am in God's yeah, that's place. It. That's what keeps you in. And the truth be told, you and I've quit a couple times. Um, or a couple times a day, maybe. But the beauty of it is you can quit at night. <clears throat> And then get up the next day yeah, and go to work with God in faith. And 
go into yeah, a I'm new a big season. believer in the manna thing too. You know, he doesn't usually provide the provision um, for your lifetime. He provides it in small chunks. And he asks for obedience in the same size. And so I think we we don't just make it to heaven by taking one giant step. We make it to heaven faithful by taking all these little steps of obedience along the way. And the gift of God comes in each step of obedience. And as we obey, he gives us the strength then to obey the next yeah. time. And um, he describes you know, in Scripture that we don't have to go from weakness to strength, that we can actually go from strength to strength. We can walk on those highs of his provision every moment of our life if we choose to do that. And um, I believe in it, and so I'm I'm praying that I can stay that course. So we've been together from really the start. Um, you were in business when we got married, fortunately, because I was in ministry and had zero income or very little income, not enough to support us, really. And you were working at um, a big uh, company in the town where we were living in Waco, Texas at that time, and then went on to work at another big company because you had a business background, business major, all that. Um, but then pretty soon we hit a big crossroad mm-hmm. in your career path. I mean, you could have been the president of any company or the president of any country, and you were already up into upper management in this company that honestly just, if truth be told, was kind of like an old boys club. And here you were like the one female moving up into upper management and you'd be running that place in like five years. Well, there were a few of us, but <clears throat> it was definitely not normal for females to be in places of management. And you were just tearing it up. And then all of a sudden the ministry thing sort of caught gear and I've, I've got this ministry path going, you've got this business path going, and our paths are kind of diverging a little bit. And we realize, wait, this is a critical moment for us That's right. and for our marriage. And you said, hey, I'm going to cash in on the business thing. You need help and organization. I'm going to come and jump in on the ministry. And from that point forward, we've been going to work together every day of our <laughs> lives, which is Ooh. Insane and awesome at the same time. And I think people out, out there, I think, are wanting, hey, if we could call in right now and ask a question, my question would be, what is the best thing about the two of you doing this together? And what is one or two of the hardest things about you two doing this together? Man, those are great questions, and I love that people could call in. We should do that next time. <laughs> no. I think that would be fascinating. Um, I I would say some of the best things about doing it together is that you and I are very complementarily com- complement. How do say that word? We're very complementary. Ah, yeah, we're that. Um, we are not the same, you and me. Hundred percent. How are we different? What are two or three of the main ways that we're different? Well, I think you say often I'm a starter, being you as a starter. I would say I'm a finisher. Amen. Um, I love starting things, but I love seeing them to completion. You are really, really pumped on the beginnings, <laughs> and uh, and then you fade a little bit on the middles and ends. Um, I would say I am um, structured in schedule. I am very—I love doing the same thing every day. I would say your day is best when it's just a lot of curveballs, just something you didn't expect and a lot of— I didn't know what was Cummings, and you thrive in that, and that's beautiful, but that's not the way I'm made. I'm made more in the plotting day-to-day, just keep it on the rails, 
and um, keep things moving forward. So there are a lot of ways that we just are unique. Um, And I think instead, early on, I can remember the earliest days of marriage in particular, thinking that these are going to be problems, that the way you go about doing something, if we approach the exact same thing, would be completely opposite of the way I would go about solving that. And that I saw that playing out over a lifetime thinking this is not going to work because we are so different. But I think what I've learned, and certainly people who are married know this to be true, you learn from each other as you go. You soften those edges that you feel so committed to, and that becomes a blend of two people coming together at two different approaches toward a common central a way of activity and way of life. And we've certainly created that in time, but I also started to realize that your approach wasn't wrong. It was different. And thank you. And I would love for you to say back to me, <laughs> good, your approach wasn't wrong. It was different. Amen. Uh, your yeah, approach right. was okay. right almost every single time. So what happens then as you stop fighting with each other and you start fighting for each other? And we, early on, I think, went from this is a place of tension and disagreement to actually, I think you have a point of view that's worth considering. And I actually believe that you, even though it's different than my approach, it could actually be very effective. And I've learned, honestly, and I say this often, but I've learned so much from you by watching you, by seeing that you're not just what you say you are, but you're who you say you are underneath it all. And I've grown to really appreciate the different approach. It's not like my family. It's not like I grew up. It's not the way we always did it. But turns out it's a beautiful way. And the complement of my understanding and yours together has ended up creating, I think, what is a beautiful life. Yeah, and I think we've merged in the middle in a really great way. I mean, A, I've taught you how to explore a a few things outside the lines because your family was very much like we have Mexican (laughs) on Thursday night. Kind of predictable. Yeah, whatever. And but your family now is extremely um, broad in all of their taste as well. But I I remember just when we started dating, and on a Sunday we'd go to church with your family or whatever if we were in Houston, and then we would go home. And I was like, okay, great. There's nothing better than going home after church on Sunday lunch and having a nap. And it's like Sunday lunch, we just got home. All right, we're going to wash all the cars. All right, now that we've washed all the cars, we're going to sweep the driveway. Now that we've swept the driveway, we're going to hose down all the plants. Now that we've hosed down all the plants, we're going to clean out the garage. And I'm like, when is the nap going to happen? And I realized that there are no naps in your family. So my family is highly successful <laughs> and very driven. I know that's shocking to a lot of you guys, but they they definitely um they're not a real resting group of people, but I think they've learned to rest um probably from some of you in the way you go about things as well. So it's we've we've come a long ways is what I would like to say about that. Yeah, I think it's really beautiful the way that God has put us together. And I say this all the time. I mean, I I am an A to B guy. There's no doubt about that. Um, if the rocket gets off the launch pad by six feet, I'm already moving on to the next thing. And you're like, no, we said this thing was going to go to wherever, and I'm going to make sure it gets there and lands there. And thank goodness you are that person because I'd still just have a bunch of plates spinning in the air 
uh, hoping that they didn't all crash on the ground and you're over there going, oh, no, they're all going to get where they're going because we're going to finish what we started. And I love that. People um, follow you because of your wisdom. I think the two things I think about when I think about you most are discernment. And there are a lot of different ways to define discernment, but it's kind of, to me, it's like you, you know when you know. I was talking to a friend recently, and all the people that get hired at their company have to go through this person's wife. And if she says, uh-uh, it's a uh-uh. It can go all the way. <laughs> Listen, I don't have that much power, 99 just so you know. <laughs> layers, but if it's a uh-uh, I don't feel it, it's the end. And I call that discernment. It's just the ability to look into a situation and go, hmm, I don't feel good about that. I can't really maybe articulate it, but I don't feel good about it. And your discernment is spot on. But then secondly, your ability to articulate in a sentence. You know, it takes me 45 minutes to say something. You can say in a sentence something that everybody goes, that's exactly what I was looking for. That's exactly what I needed to hear. And it's not like, um, and I, I don't, don't mean this in a negative way, but it's not like little leadership quips, you know, that we see in our social feed. It's, it feels like this came out of a fire. This got refined <laughs> somewhere. This was, this came out of the depths of the earth. And I know it, I know where it came from. It came from that place of leading in the shadows, but making huge decisions every day with massive consequences. Just the spotlight wasn't on you. And then when the spotlight comes on you, here it comes. So talk a little bit about wisdom and a little bit about discernment. Well, um, there was a time in my life when I was in middle school. I think I was about 13 years old. And someone came to speak at youth group. And we were excited because it was a guest speaker and not our normal run-of-the-mill, whatever we normally had. Although they were amazing. I'm sure they were amazing. And um, But I just remember that we all felt excited because there was someone special here. And the only thing I remember about the person or about the content was that they said at some point in their talk, did you know that you could ask God for wisdom and he says he would give it to you? Wow. And I honestly don't know to that point in my life that I had ever heard that. And I don't really remember all the other things they said after that. I just remember thinking, I did not know that. And if that's a possibility, and God says He would honor the request, I should ask. So I was 13 or 14 years old. I think I was 13 years old. I just started asking. And I would ask God every day, like, if you can give me one thing, would you give me wisdom? I didn't really even know, honestly, what I was asking for. I didn't know all of the substantial meaning of wisdom and how God would deposit that into my life. I didn't know why I would need it. I hadn't been through anything hard in my life. I didn't need wisdom. I was 13. But I just thought it was so amazing that God would allow us to ask Him for something and that He would grant it. I could not get over that. And so that started a process in me of believing that there was something worth having that He was willing to offer me that I, even as a 13-year-old, could could carry and own. And I have loved that process. I'm now 57 years old as of last week, and I'm still asking. I figure 
there's not an end to the wisdom of God. Who could fathom yeah. His ways or understand how He is composed and what His facets are? No one could understand. And so if I have an opportunity to ask Him for some of that to be deposited to me, why wouldn't I keep asking? So I think wisdom comes by asking, and I just would encourage you today, if you need wisdom, you should start asking Him for it. And I do mm. believe He, as He promises, will give that to us. I also think that wisdom has to do um, in discernment with proximity. And we've talked about this often. Um, I don't know how much publicly, but we believe that humility and wisdom comes from proximity, and the proximity is not to understanding. The proximity is to God. Mm -hmm. If we have not His reasons, I'm not going to give you here's why. I'm just going to let you come close to me. I'm going to let you come right up to me. Psalm 84 says, you can build your nest, swallow, right near my throne. So you have the ability, even as a common run-of-the-mill bird, to come right on into my throne room and to build your nest right up next to my wow. throne. That is the invitation <clears throat> as his children, ordinary people, to come right on into the throne room of God and to set up shop. This is my house. This is where I'll raise my young. This is the way it will work right here at your throne. And I just believe that that proximity gives us advantages in wisdom, understanding, and discernment that we could never have apart from it. We are made. We are not the maker, but we have access to the maker. And he says we can live as close to him as we choose to. And he invites us on in. And I believe that that gives us what we need. And I can feel it in my life when I'm with him, when I spend time with him, when I'm a part of talking to him every day. I feel like then I can operate in some of the discernment and wisdom that He gives when I feel myself separated and distant and I've wandered off somewhere by my own choosing. I oftentimes feel like I struggle with understanding what are you doing and what is happening and what's going on and how should I navigate. So I do think proximity has so much to do with it. I've been thinking uh, more and more. Uh, interestingly, every time I look down, I see both of our reading glasses on the table. And I'm reading like, glasses and okay. my phone and case. You know, That's where we are, people. <laughs> but I, I've been thinking more and more in the last few months about our earliest days. Like the summer I met you at Champion Force Baptist Church. And the few summers after that where I was a summer college intern at another church in Houston at Tallawood. Okay. And your family had moved to that area of town. Um, thus, I was at Tallawood um, for a couple of summers. And and because of Jerome Smith, who's amazing. He was amazing. And still is. But I think back to those those nights, those college nights in the summer. Yeah. Um, we did them at people's houses, and we would have 50, 70, 80 college students who were home for the summer primarily in a room doing the very same thing we really do here every Sunday. That's right. We didn't have as much support around us, and it maybe was singing, Lord, You Are More Precious Than Silver, a cappella, because we didn't have a band. Um, I would try to teach and speak on the same things I'm speaking on Sundays here. But you and I would get there early. We would make sure everything felt right. We would notice the details. We would think about the room. We would 
care for the smallest of things. And it was all for 70 college students who were going to pack out somebody's den and set up the stairs and across a little walkway up on the second floor. And it really isn't that different than what we're doing today. And some of the arenas have gotten bigger, the stadiums have gotten bigger, but I still feel like we walk in and I feel more like we're those people than we're these people, whatever these people are, that we're just two people walking in a room, caring about the details, but with a big, big message. And that feels simplistic, but I think it is the still the driving force of everything we're doing today. And I think it keeps us from being um, really feeling different on the inside. You know, people say to me all the time, like, "How has your success affected you?" or, "Or how do you how do you feel now that you're older and you can actually see what was happening?" And I feel the same. I don't feel different because the reason. And the the embrace of the Father feels the same to me. It's very familiar. And certainly the circumstances have grown. The faces are different at times. A lot of them have grown up too, so they're older faces. <laughs> but, but it's all the same heart, intent, and message that I feel carried by and drawn into and a part of. And so I feel exactly the same. The same obedience I wanted to have and the wisdom I asked for at 13 is what I still feel today. And I hope that that carries us all the way to the end. And I do feel like the familiarity of the Father's heart is what actually keeps us in that sacred space. And sacred and secular, we talk about all the time, are the same thing because everything to God is sacred. Every bit of our life, everything we do, every minute we spend to Him is an opportunity for investment and stewardship, and it's all sacred to Him. And so our separation is our problem, not His, but our invitation to make it all where it can count for the long haul is exactly what we're trying to do today, and I'm honored to get to, and I'm even grateful most days that we get to do it together. So (laughs) thank you, God. How have you navigated that road of trying to figure out I who am I, not connected to this person and their vision and their anointing, but how do I find who my person and my vision and my anointing? Well, I don't think I ever um, confused um, ability and visibility. So I never really thought in my mind, if everyone can see me, then what I give is valuable. I've always thought God sees me. He's He knows exactly where I am. He knows exactly what mm-hmm. He's handed me, and He's looking straight at me. And He says about Himself that He cares more about the why and what's in our hearts than He does about the what we did. And so I never honestly thought, if I can just make it to a stage, then people will know that I'm valuable. I felt like God's looking at me. How much more valuable can I be? I mean, what hmm. value would I get apart from Him just staring straight at me, watching me carry this case or you know, help someone load in a tour night or talk to someone on the phone who was organizing something that we needed to be organized so that we could walk into something that had an effect on people's eternities? What more valuable ask from God could there be but that I get to do something of that nature? So 
I never thought when people see it, it will create value for me. And I never thought I'm less valuable because people can't see it. And the truth is, in the long run, I appreciate the dark room so much more than I appreciate the stage to this date. I <laughs> think the stage That's is true. fine now, which is not anything I ever aspired to or really felt comfortable with. I didn't preach at passion, although you've asked a few times until last year. So this is not something I wake up and hope that someone's going to ask me to do something that people are going to shine a light on. That's not the way I'm made, and it's not what I'm drawn to. But it's also true that I've become okay with knowing at times I need to stand there and lead people or pray for people or believe something with people, and I will do that. But I don't think I receive value from that. (laughs) I receive value from being in places with God, whether He's on a stage or off of a stage, whether He's organized the event or He's speaking at the event. I'm with God, and that's enough for me, and it doesn't matter to me in what location. And Mm -hmm. once I could get okay with that in my early parts of life, then I could carry what was in my hand and not be jealous of what was in yours or be misunderstanding of value that I had versus what you had. Mm -hmm. And I've always said about your life, I don't want it. And it's not because I don't respect or appreciate it. You're amazing at what you do, and you're gifted and anointed and called to it. But no, thank you. I feel really good being over here creating a way for that to happen in a way that feels valuable to God and to me, but doesn't need to have the attention that you have drawn to you. So I would just encourage people, honestly, who don't feel value because they don't look visible that they have just as much value (laughs) in their life as the people who are visible, and that honestly their life is far easier in some ways than when God does shine a light on you. And I'm so fortunate and blessed that I was older before the light did shine on me because I was working a lot of stuff out that nobody needed light on early in my life, and I am so grateful to God that I got to do it with just Him and me. And those are my prize memories. Those are the most special things I have in my life are those places. And now, even if I stand on a stage, those can't be taken from me. You are standing on a stage more and more. You're leading the Grove, um, which is a phenomenal movement of God among women, primarily in Atlanta, but now is reaching women all the way around the world. And you also... Talking about being in the invisible places, I mean, you are visible and your voice is heard, but on any given night, um, I'll hear you in the other room um, or any given day or an afternoon, and you're on the phone talking to you like you were a few days ago to a very um, influential young leader in the world. Um, I hear you on the phone with people who everyone on this podcast would know their names instantly. Um, And I hear you on the phone with people that no one on this podcast would know their names. And you are just pouring out encouragement and 
mm-hmm. wisdom, and it's a way of life for you. In fact, um, I don't know how you do it. That's kind of where I would step in and say, I couldn't do that life, even though I respect it and admire it and I'm mm-hmm. blown away by it. I'd be like, whoo, if I did one of those every two days, I would have to you know, take a break. And you just pour and give out so much. And so to the young leader, to the next generation, because they look up to you so much. And I know that because they're calling you so regularly. (laughs) Um, What is your message to the next generation? What's the the key thing you want to impart to them? I think it's just the same thing that I know and understand for myself, and that is that God is faithful um, he says, and we count on this verse in First Thessalonians 5.24 that says, Faithful is he who called you. He also will do it. And he has been faithful to me in that way. I know that it was him calling me way back before I even knew what the calling was to. I knew it was him doing the calling. And I've learned through my life that it's also him doing the doing. Yeah. And the more that I die to me and my preferences and all the things that I think are important, the more he's able just to do that through me. And I believe in it. And as I mentioned earlier, I've lived a lot of life now, but I'm also still counting on the fact that he's going to come through for me. And so I think I would just say to them, don't try to solve it all. You're 23 or you're 33, and you probably don't get it all, and it looks confusing and overwhelming, and the calling is often bigger than what we think we can contain. It has been in my life my entire life. It's always been bigger than what I thought I was capable of, but I know that God is in the equation with me, and I know that He is capable of all things. And so what I'm counting on to bring me through and what I think you should count on to bring you through is that he's going to be faithful to himself and to you. And you're going to look up one day like we do and look back one day like we are today and say, well, look at the ways that he has been faithful to us. And so hang on to him. Don't hang on to the calling. Don't hang on to the gifting or I feel like I'm carrying this amazing preaching gift, and I just can't wait to see how God uses that. You're deceived if you think that's more important than the God who gave it to you. The God who gave it to you is the one who wants to walk with you with your gift, with your calling and anointing so that He can be the prize. And I just encourage people, walk with Him, and you are going to be shocked at what He brings you into and through, and He'll receive all the glory for it because we'll all know it was Him. And you and I have learned there are no shortcuts. That's the truth. No shortcuts. I think that's kind of, you know, where we stand now at our stage of life with a new emerging generation. I don't think the new generation wants shortcuts. I just think everybody's about the hack. And I didn't even, we didn't know what hacks were when we were coming along. But now we live in a global community. And so there's a hack for everything. You can watch a YouTube video and learn how to change the little pilot light on your hot water heater at home, as we learned recently. Yeah. We didn't do it, but uh, that's because the boss it was not The safe. boss said no. We heard people I, for that. I figured I could do it, but the boss said, no, we're talking about natural gas and flames here, and it's not going to be a, a good outcome for the family. But you can hack anything now. Um, Can't and, hack character. Welcome to the Passion and Purpose podcast. Can't hack character. 
Sorry, there's no shortcut <clears throat> to just being an awesome person. And what else can't you hack? Oh, I don't know. I don't even know where that one came from. I just am like, man, people want to shortcut everything, but there's no shortcuts in building something. And uh, your life becomes strong in the layers. And I feel like it's like shellac. You know, remember when we used to make, <laughs> I used to do arts and crafts. I know that's hard for you to imagine, but long ago before I met you, I used to do that's arts. That's a beautiful and- thing that you embroidered. Yes, I was working on this today. earlier I really today. Love that. Thank it's you. Amazing. I'm glad you like it. Anyway, um, you would get finished with the project and then you would put this shellac on it and it would harden and protect the project so that it would last as though you had done something that you wanted to last, but whatever, that's details. But shellacking is a process that I think our life is also built like. It's one thing for the art to be created, but it's another thing for it to be protected and to withstand the test of life and to still be present and beautiful in the end. You're going to need some layers of protection to keep it that way. And I feel like everybody wants to create the beauty, but they just want to hope it lasts. And the way to ensure that it will last is just to keep layering on the goodness of God over and over and Mm -hmm. over until the protection and shine and sheen and beauty can be truly appreciated. And there is no hack for that. There is not a shortcut to that process. It takes an entire lifetime. Some people's life is three years. Some people's life is 103. God knows how long you need for that to be beautiful. I certainly don't, but he does. But I just say you can't get there any other way. I love that we often say to each other privately. um, Oh, no, I hate when you say private things publicly. You said something earlier that you said we don't talk about publicly a lot. I don't remember what it was now, but it it was more important than what I'm going to say. Profound. But we often say... At the end of the day, we just want to be the same people. I think we're doing and okay. I think at the end of the day, we just want to be the same people that started out with a love of Jesus. We just want to end up with a love of Jesus. Yeah. We just want to be the same people. And maybe we go through different seasons and different stories and different waves of what God is doing, but I just want to be the same people at the end of it. And I strive for that, but I can honestly 1,000% say of you, you are the same person. You are the same genuine, amazing person sitting here right now as the day I met you. And you're just as funny, just as beautiful, just as quick-witted. Your comebacks are just as good Good. as on the very first conversation we ever had (laughs) when I said, that's my girl. Um, But I know people respect you so much, but I just want to say publicly how much I respect you. And I really admire you and look up to you. And I'm so grateful for the way God is using you. And I'm so grateful for this season where your days are less in the shadows and they are more visible because not because you want it, but because the world needs it. And so this Shelly Giglio, everyone, thank you so much for being amazing and for being on the Passion and Purpose podcast. Well, thanks so much for joining us on today's episode. I'm so glad that you got to hear that conversation with Shelly. And I know that there are a hundred takeaways for each of us just walking away today going, wow, that's practical. That's something I can put into play in my life right here and right now. And so thanks and thanks again, babe. I love you. I'm so glad to have you on today. 
If you're enjoying the Passion and Purpose podcast, I hope that you've subscribed already. If not, I hope you'll subscribe right now. And if you'd be so kind as to leave a review, maybe just tell a few of your friends about what you're enjoying on the Passion and Purpose podcast. I'd be grateful. Look forward to seeing you next time and God bless. Thank you.